0: You know, if we continue with our lives as is and do not act on climate change, the earth will heat up by two degrees Celsius by the end of the century. Our guest today is a medical doctor with over 20 years of experience. He's also a speaker, writer, and he devotes his time focusing on global environmental issues, as a passionate climate activist, Crazy Birds, without any further ado, I would like to welcome Dr. Bruce Becker. Welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: How did your sustainable journey actually start?
1: I have been a surfer since I was 14 years old, and I've loved the ocean long before that. So I always had a, an interest in ocean ecology and coastal Environmental issues. But I awoke to the whole problem of the climate crisis back in, geez, it was 2006 in the fall. I remember a particular evening when I got home from my office and read an article from UC San Diego, where I went to college years before, called The End of the World as We Know It, which was from Scripps Institution of Oceanography. And it was about how climate change is threatening not only the health of the ocean and the coast but basically the foundation of life on Earth. And I was so completely shocked by what I read that it changed my life that night. And ever since then, I've gotten more and more and more involved in not just, gee, it would be swell to be sustainable, but how do we stop this climate crisis that's threatening uh, everything that we care about on Earth?
0: What would you say is climate change then to you as you've learned so much and experienced so much about it?
1: Well, first and foremost, it's a threat to, as I was saying, the coast where I live with rising sea levels, with bizarrely warm ocean temperatures, coral reefs dying off, and really uh, pretty amazing amounts of erosion to the, the low coastal bluffs that we have around here. You can see changes already. And they're pretty dramatic. But on a bigger scale, I see it as a threat to human health. Given what we're learning, it's already having a big impact on health and it stands to grow even larger and more dire as we go forward. So it just makes it imperative, I think, that more and more of of us get involved and stop this problem before it threatens not just the most vulnerable amongst us, but all of us.
0: Definitely, and we've definitely gone from this issue being a climate crisis to now being a climate emergency. And how is this actually affecting our health? Like, people obviously is concerned about the planet's health, but in actual fact, it's concerned uh-huh. because it's affecting us as well.
1: Well. Those aren't two separate topics. I think it's really important for all of us to realize that the balance of nature is something that we're a part of and are completely dependent upon. We need nature to grow our food that we survive by eating. We need nature to provide us shelter and a and a livable external environment. So that there's no separation. I actually don't even like the word environment because it suggests that there's a separation between us and nature. We are, as I say, completely dependent upon and, and involved with, uh, with nature. So what grabs the headlines are the weather-related emergencies, the superstorms, where you have downpours of an immense amount of rain in very short periods of time or very, very strong storms with winds just sort of off the charts, strong wind gusts and raging fires that are uh, immediate threats to health in terms of injuries and deaths. But that's, to coin a phrase, the tip of the iceberg. It's a far bigger problem than that, that those kinds of extreme weather-related injuries and fatalities are a very small part of how climate threatens health. On a a broader scale, it changes uh, infectious disease patterns. For instance, we know of certain illnesses that were previously isolated to a narrow band of uh, tropical climate that are now being seen in much broader areas. In the U.S., we have West Nile virus, which wasn't even seen here until about 1998 in an isolated area in the Midwest in the northern part, but now we're seeing it throughout California, and this causes hundreds of cases of illness a year in California and more than a few deaths, and the numbers seem to increase, if not annually, then over time they've they've increased a lot. Other infections that don't get much notice, like something called valley fever, which is a fungal infection, the official name is coccidiomycosis, it's a lung infection. But the numbers have skyrocketed as we've had increasing drought in the Southwest. So infectious disease, we could talk about, I'm sure, for the entire interview. But moving to other impacts, there are certainly serious health problems caused by the increase in heat that we have seen in many areas. And I think where you are, it's particularly noticeable. And there are even some some parts of the East where it's not even considered livable to be outdoors for more than a short period of time. Also, aside from extreme temperatures, there's simply warmer average temperatures, lack of nighttime cooling. Uh, All of these have significant impacts on human health as well. Beyond that, there are various forms of air pollution that are significantly worse due to the shift in the climate. And, And I think it's really kind of important to point out to your listeners, too, That although we're oftentimes not talking about a big change in temperature, you have to remember that another natural system that we understand a bit better than the climate is the human body. And when our bodies heat up by just a degree or two, we certainly feel a lot less well. And in many cases, if that goes on for any length of time, it's a real threat to the balance of our own health. And you can start to see systems shut down within our bodies related again to these relatively small changes. So as I was saying, after heat, there are types of air pollution that are linked to climate change that have caused an increase in premature deaths for a variety of causes, people that have underlying heart disease or lung disease. And beyond that, we're seeing some rather alarming effects on pregnancy in the U.S., certainly not just concentrated in the U.S., but that's where a lot of the studies have been done, looking at the effects of heat and air pollution, and seeing very concerning increases in things like premature birth and low birth weight and even stillbirth that are related to these. And then underlying everybody's health, something that climate change directly impacts is our food supply and also the availability of clean, fresh water. We need those in order to maintain our health wherever it is that we are. And climate certainly threatens those and in many cases has already affected it. So we could again, talk about a lot of these things in a lot more detail, but I think that gives you a sort of an overview of the kind of challenges that we're facing that need to be addressed.
0: Definitely, and I think especially where you are in California, you know, it is, at the moment, it's fire season. 2018, California has seen the most destructive fires recorded with about 1.8 million acres burned. Like, what effects does that have on people currently living there, you know, during this whole fire, as well as after everything's kind of settled and they have to go back into their homes and their communities. What health effects does that have?
1: Well, aside from the risk of being in an area where a fire is burning and those fires are behaving in many cases quite differently and more aggressively than fires have in the past, we're seeing really drastic changes in fire behavior and it's not just California. It's not certainly Southern California. It's across the state. It's across the, the Northwest as well. And up into Canada, Australia has certainly had horrendous fires, uh, unprecedented types of fires. So aside from the immediate risks of being in the fire zone with fires acting a lot more dangerously than, than they used to, and people literally not being able to get out in time because of the the extreme velocity that these fires are traveling with now. There are the sort of things that happen as a result of the fire to the air. We were talking about air pollutants. We're talking about fine particulates and coarse particulate matter that people inhale in their lungs, and carbon monoxide, which is a odorless poison gas, ozone, and a lot of other toxic pollutants. Important for, again, your listeners to appreciate It's not just right around the fire that these things occur, but oftentimes the winds can carry all of these really noxious chemicals for tens or hundreds of miles from the fire zone. And these can impact people at a distance and for several days to weeks after the fire itself has been put out. We've also seen now that one of the ways in which fire has changed is that fires used to last on average, the large fires, about five days. And according to data, which is probably now too conservative, large fires last typically more like three weeks. So that's more than a tripling of the duration of these fires, which means uh, far longer exposure to the toxins that we're talking about. And the people that are most sensitive to these are not only the elderly and people with pre-existing heart and lung conditions, but also children. And these sorts of chemicals in the air once they get into the lungs and through our our circulation can trigger asthma attacks, which can be life threatening. And also we're seeing a connection to premature death in areas where temperatures are elevated and fires are burning. These are not minor. And the problem is there is a there's clear evidence that fire behavior is continuing to worsen as the climate continues to destabilize.
0: Wow, that's really shocking. And I mean, it's not just fires. There's so many things that's contributing to this crisis that we are in now or this emergency. So also one of the other things is plastic pollution. So that seems to be everywhere and it has kind of made its way up into our food chain and we consume on average about five grams of plastic per week. So that's like one credit card size of plastic. How is things like this affecting our health as well?
1: Well, I'm sitting here listening to you and getting educated. I have not followed the plastic pollution problem, to be honest with you, because our hands are full dealing with climate change related health issues. Certainly, I'm attuned to the Great Pacific garbage patch that's floating out in the ocean. I believe that there's another one in the Gulf of Mexico. And I would only guess, given the petroleum-linked chemicals that go into the making of these plastics, that it has to be very bad for our health. But I simply can't comment beyond that.
0: And so what would your advice be to any other doctors out there when they speak to their patients about climate change?
1: Well, first of all, I think the notion that people don't care about this or aren't aware of it is outdated. We have very good data from the Yale Center for Climate Change Communication that shows that there's been a sharp uptick in public awareness and concern and interest in seeing action taken on climate change. So uh, I think doctors should not be still carrying around the notion that people don't know about this or don't care. I think, in in fact, they may certainly not universally, but many patients may really welcome uh, an opportunity to talk about this. Secondly, I think that it would be a service to patients that we ought to be taking as physicians who are concerned about public health, broach this topic to see if patients have questions about it in terms of how it relates to why that patient is in seeing them. For instance, if a mother brings in a child who has asthma, it would certainly be an easy link to make. Anybody who takes care of adult patients who have any problems with heart or lung issues, This would certainly also be something that they can bring up and make an easy segue to talking about. And I think it leads naturally to the idea of prevention. Uh, If we know that heat waves or air pollution from fires, air pollution is certainly worse in areas of a city where there's a lot of industry or a lot of fossil fuels being burned, Uh, helping patients understand the link between climate and uh, those pollutant exposures and their own health might help them prevent uh, having a problem down the line by avoiding certain times of day and certain areas. But I think on a bigger scale, it's really important for doctors and all health professionals to understand that what science is clearly indicating is we need to tackle this problem. We can't leave it for other people, for politicians, certainly, and for anyone else who has maybe a more short-sighted approach or less concern about the health of the public. So as advocates for public health, we need to get more involved. And I understand that healthcare people are usually stressed and busy and tired, but you would not ignore a problem that was threatening a large number of your patients if you knew about it ordinarily. And this certainly fits that description and will increasingly as time goes forward. And we're not talking about very much time that we can let go by anymore before we're potentially heading off a cliff in terms of our climate destabilizing. I don't mean to sound dramatic, but that's what the science says. And as we so well know in medicine, a patient doesn't have to understand that they're facing a life-threatening illness, nor have anticipated it, nor be in agreement with it to still be in a really difficult situation. They need to face their situation. We need to face where we are, become uh, not just advocates about stopping the climate crisis with our patients and educating them about it, but carving out some time, given the degree of this threat, to become more involved in our communities. It's really at the local level where we can begin to make changes that can spread to statewide action or even go up to up the chain to national action, wherever it is that we are, to make the kinds of changes that will, will significantly lessen our risk. For instance, in San Diego, where I am, we have an opportunity to begin having community choice energy. It's because of the action of local citizens that we're demanding an alternative to the investor-owned utilities that just bring in whatever energy sources they, they feel like that make them the most money, including fracked natural gas, a lot of it. Uh, Instead, switching to renewables and finding that as these programs take off around California, that they are not only financially viable and stable, but they return money to their communities and help to lead to more renewable energy being used and developed. So it's a win-win. The community gets jobs and money. The community gets cleaner air. And we're helping to slow down the climate crisis.
0: So each of us can actually make a difference. We just need to get more involved with our communities as well.
1: Well, I think it's important to point out that the things we need to do for climate change are going to take a while to have an impact on that problem. However, cleaner air and cleaner water are immediate benefits of a lot of changes. For instance, switching over to community choice energy and using more renewables to generate electricity. As soon as you do that, you stop burning nearly as much Gas, and you're going to get benefits to health all kinds of people in that vicinity immediately. So these are really kind of positive changes. This is not, you know, do this and do the right thing and hope for the best. This is do the right thing for ourselves as well as for everybody else, do the necessary thing and see the benefits right away.
0: And what would you say has actually been one of the most important decisions that you have made around Mama Earth?
1: I think that would have to be to get more involved. Instead of that being a downer and a burden, what I have found is an amazing number of people who are on the same path, who care about other people, who have a positive outlook on the future, who are embracing change as long as it's done smartly. It's only added to my life. I've had amazing experiences. I've met some very, very well-known and widely respected people I never would have met otherwise. I'm getting a great opportunity to talk to people like you and your listeners. So I'd say one of the best decisions I've made is that I am a part of this problem and being engaged with it has led to really positive things in my own life. So I wouldn't trade. I mean, I wish we didn't have this problem, but I wouldn't trade my participation for any amount of money or any other kind of reimbursement. This is, to me, the gift that keeps on giving.
0: Awesome. And we're going to move into our final five. So the first one is what is one social media account or publication that you follow?
1: I have a Facebook group here in San Diego. It's called Climate Action Now or CAN. And I really enjoy the interaction with the people that post and the people that comment. And I learn a lot from those people. So what I like about Facebook with all of its downsides is that it has been a source of community for many people across the activist groups in town, and uh, I find it another source of inspiration.
0: Awesome, and what is your hope for Mama Earth going forward?
1: I wanna look beyond the problem of the climate crisis to the sort of uh, world that we could create for ourselves, the kind of future that we really wanna have. My hope is not just that we stop things from getting worse as soon as we can, but that we make a future that is even better than our best days before us. For instance, one of the things I do is I drive an electric car. I've had one for five years. I've actually had three of them now, and I love driving those cars. (laughs) This is a good thing to do for the world. But I got to tell you, I'm a car guy and there is nothing that drives better or is more fun or quicker or smoother or quieter than my little Tesla Model 3. There oh, are a lot of more yeah.
0: <laughs> cars.
1: Out. It's by no means a real, real fancy car, but the technology of it and the performance of it, it's just a dream. So I think we ought to look at things like that. How do we make the future the way we want it instead of closing our eyes and hoping this all just goes away?
0: Exactly. And what advice? Can you give our crazy birds this week to help out Mama Earth?
1: Look locally in your community for issues that are being decided, perhaps through city council or whatever form of local government you have access to, that would be moving that community towards greater sustainability, And addressing the climate crisis and get involved with those, even if all you do is show up to meetings and maybe make a statement when there's an opportunity to do that. What I've found in more than 10 years of activism is that local politicians pay attention to people who show up more than anything else. They may not even agree with you, but there's something about the power of your presence that you can use to magnify what you want to see done.
0: Awesome. We'll definitely keep that in mind. And what is one sustainability fact that you like to use in a room with people not yet on a sustainable journey?
1: I think it's the message of a positive future. I think we don't want to dwell just like if someone's, if I want a patient to lose weight, I'm not going to harp on, you know, you're so fat, look how fat you are. You have, you have to wear those big pants. You don't talk about that. You talk about Won't life be great? I tell you, it'll start to improve as soon as you've lost five pounds. You'll notice that your clothes feel more comfortable on you. You have an easier time going upstairs. You talk about all the positive things that will occur once you start moving in that direction and how quickly they will occur. I don't know if there's one specific fact, but I think what we want to do is point people in the direction thinking about the kind of future they want to have As we solve this problem, how good could it really be? What do you want to see happen that will work for everyone?
0: Cool. And where can people find you?
1: Well, aside from walking down the bluffs here in Del Mar in northern San Diego County on the water, which I do a few times a day, they can friend me on Facebook and ask to belong to my Facebook group, San Diego Can, C-A-N, Climate Action Now. My Twitter handle is at thegreendock. But the is T-H, Green Doc, G-R-E-E-N-D-O-C. I think that's a good start.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I really appreciate it. I want
1: to say thank you to you and to your listeners. I I am so pleased to hear that on the other side of the world, not that I ever thought different, but it's always wonderful to connect with people all over who are seeing the value of engaging in this work and the necessity of it. And it's, uh, it's really a joy for me to talk to you. So thanks for reaching out.
0: Oh, thank you. Thank you for everything that you are doing. And I'm sure our crazy birds have learned a lot. And it's always great to hear from someone that, you know, has kind of done this for a period of time and that has like, you know, with you, you're a medical doctor. And if there's some health issues, I, I think people just trust doctors more as well.
1: Well, they do. They trust health professionals. And I think by and large, we mean well and think of other people. And But we're all in this together. Definitely. So we all can use our voice and, uh, and have an impact. And my own experience for more than 10 years now is the more I do, the more enjoyment I get and the happier I am with the whole effort.
0: Perfect. Well, cool. Well, thank you so much and have a really a fantastic pleasure. day. And that's a wrap. Thank you so much for listening. You can find the show notes for this episode at MamaEarthTalk.com. Follow at Design by Mariska on Instagram or email hello at MamaEarthTalk.com. And let me know if there's a topic you'd like me to talk about. I love hearing from all you crazy birds. New episodes are uploaded every Monday. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss anything. Mama Earth has a voice and it's us crazy birds!